Um, ooh, uh, oh, before we wait, start, though. Before we start. What order? <laughs> that was what I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and today uh, my Animal Crossing Island has gotten a big new shot of life recently, both because it's October and we've got all the fun, spooky Halloween stuff, uh, and because I visited a friend's island and I got a lot of cool ideas for what to do with mine. So I'm back in it, not that I ever left. Joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host. Uh, and fellow island scenic designer, Martha Ooh, Sullivan. Great. Um, the, yeah, the Halloween stuff is like, oh, shoot, I have a reason again to be playing every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gotta buy those candies. Mm-hmm. Um, Gotta water those pumpkins. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I recently was just like, I'm going to cut down all of my trees and dig up all of my flowers and just sort of start over again because mm. i'm bored <laughs> i uh, wanted to stop thinking of my island as like finished and just sort of play around with stuff that i had thought of as being like well this part is done it's like well no none of it has to be done yeah i've done kind of a, like I, i've actually been like working on waterfalls and stuff like i i built an orchard with all the fruit trees in one place for the first time instead of them being sort of scattered about I might end up actually digging up all of my fruit trees because I just never harvest fruit anymore because oh. I don't need to sell it. I don't need to sell it for stuff. Why not? Like, cause I have a, I have a lot of money. Mm, fair. I, I am spending a lot of money right now. Cause I'm also moving all my residents homes and, uh, uh, building a bunch of bridges and inclines. Like I'm tearing down my old wooden bridges and building new brick bridges. It's, it's an expensive time on my Island right oh, now. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, welcome to our new podcast, Animal Crossing Island Designer. Yeah, great <laughs> podcast. Uh, it's it, as as an audio medium, we really want to be talking about a visual video visual game. mediums. Yes. <laughs> uh, but no, this is instead, uh, as I said, a pop culture podcast. And today we're getting biblical. We are talking Old Testament adaptations. We've got two movies lined up. Uh, we have. Uh, uh, a wide range of opinions uh, on those two movies, which we'll be getting into very shortly. Uh, but before we get into that, it's only fair to share with you what is stuck in our heads this week. This is whatever piece of pop culture we want to talk about, basically. So, uh, Martha, what is stuck in your head this week? Uh, so after it absolutely killed at the Emmys, I think. Mm-hmm. Emmys? Yes. Sure. Um, Dan Levy did us all a solid and released the last season of Schitt's Creek on Netflix three days early. So that is where I have been living, uh, this last day. Um, I, I will tell you before that happened, I was going to tell you all how much I have been enjoying Brockmire, but mm. this news was too big for me not to, uh, not to share. <laughs> I... Schitt's Creek is the um, slice of happiness that I need in my life right now. So you know, the the fact that it was, you know, I was looking forward to a Wednesday release date and Dan Levy was like, I got you B and gave it to us uh, last night instead was just delightful. 
Nice. Uh, Schitt's Creek is a show that I am holding off on watching until the wintertime. Uh, basically, the plan is, uh, like a squirrel, stockpile some like heavier drama shows, uh, including Friday Night Lights, a show I've never seen before. Uh, and then during winter, watch a couple episodes of that, and then an episode of Schitt's Creek as a nice little dessert palate cleanser. Um, so I uh, uh, have not watched any of it. And I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not jumping into it yet because I have a plan. If you don't like the first couple episodes, keep going. That's what I've heard about it. Uh, okay. Very much like a Parks and Rec situation of just like, it takes a little bit to find its feet. Yeah, it gets there faster than Parks and Rec did. Right. Um, mostly because it has fewer episodes to work with. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the first couple episodes in that first season are a little rougher on the edges. Right, yeah, I've, I've heard just so much good things about the show that I, I am going in knowing that the first, like any comedy, the first couple episodes are a little bit rough, and then it figures itself out, and, and then it just rolls. It is my favorite kind of comedy, um, in that the the comedy factor of it does not depend on anybody being mean to each other. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a much, you know, much like Parks and Rec, this is a um, a cast of characters who honestly and truly have affection for each other. It's not which, Arrested Development. No, which is not a show that I ever could get, like, could get behind. Right. Um, and I, I love both kinds of comedy, so uh, I'm all on board for this one. Um... No good segue other than What's Stuck in My Head is also a comedy of sorts. Uh, I think we've talked about this last year when it first dropped, but for, or possibly two years ago, because time has no meaning. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, back on Friday, I was like, I want to re-listen to the Bash Brothers album. Uh, the Bash Brothers is uh, Lonely Island's, it was a Netflix short mockumentary musical about uh jose canseco and mark mcguire back when they were both playing for the oakland a's in the 80s uh and doing a lot of steroids if you i think we've talked about this before if you have not watched it you should stop what you're doing and watch it it's 30 minutes long uh Haim and rashida jones are in it it's great um if i were to stop what we were doing to go watch it you would yell at me that's true you have oh that's right you have you martha it's everything up your alley it's Musicals. I know, but the the fact that there's no baseball right now is making me really, really sad. Mm. Sorry, not there was baseball. It was done. It wasn't real baseball. Been. Yeah, it was. It was. It was asterisks. I didn't get to go see any of it, which made me upset. Yeah. Um. On, on the other I, hand, I've also been I've also been watching Brockmire, which I am alternately alternatively like no alternately was the correct use of that word. Um you know, laughing my butt off and also wanting to sob quietly because I miss baseball so much. <laughs> um, Bash Bros is great because it's baseball, but it's old baseball. It's baseball history. So you're like, ah, yes, the late 80s. Great. Uh, no, I have no excuse for why I haven't watched this yet. Right. Uh, and then when, when you finished watching it, uh, you can just listen to the album on Spotify. Uh, I would recommend watching it first and not just listening to the album because that... The visuals are crucial because otherwise it's a very bizarre listen. Uh, but as someone who has watched it, I was playing Animal Crossing. I'm like, I'm on listen to Bash Brothers. So I did. And now I've got like three songs stuck in my head. So uh, it is literally stuck in my head this week. I see what you did there and I'm not mad about it. Yeah, I, I, I got there eventually. 
uh, and unintentionally. All right, so uh, with that out of the way, we're going to take a quick break right now, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about some Old Testament movies. Let's get biblical. Do, do, do. are back. So this episode is all about Old Testament stories sort of reinterpreted in various different media. We just went with a couple movies. Um, a couple podcasts ago, Martha and I both realized that we actually are big Bible nerds for being a bunch of uh, agnostic atheist types. Um, we really like biblical stories for their stories uh, and the weird nonsense that happens in them sometimes. Uh yeah, Martha, I think this was started by you suggesting um, The Harrowing of Hell by Aaron. That was, yeah, that was one of my that was one of my stuck in my heads. Um, I do want to point out that you were making an awful big assumption about me right at this very moment. About being an a agnostic atheist? Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know fair. that we've ever had reason or opportunity to discuss our, um, you know, points of faith but sure. i i do not identify as um either an atheist or an agnostic oh just as a point of a data point fair enough uh and i i apologize for that um you you okay. do you want to get into it sure um i grew up uh i was we were sort of half-heartedly um i think episcopalian for a while um, we, I was actually, I was baptized at Pilgrim Church. Oh. Uh, which is a. <laughs> For the Oak Parkers in the audience. Denominational. I'm not actually sure. My dad got into a fight with the preacher there, which is why we stopped going. Mm. Um, but my mother had been raised Unitarian. So I spent most of my, um, like faith. I, I spent most of my developmental Faith education. Um, faith education uh, at the Unitarian Temple in Oak Park. And that is how I sort of continue to identify, although I don't actively go to church. Is that the um, uh, the I, Frank Lloyd I, Wright one? Yes. <sighs> nice. Um, I have tried on and off a couple of different uh, Unitarian churches. Um, the process for joining them turns me off very, very badly. Hmm. Um but yeah, I would call myself a non-practicing uh, Unitarian. Hmm. Uh, and for myself, I, I grew up and was uh, confirmed Catholic, uh, but we were very much a uh, getting confirmed to make grandma happy kind of Catholic. Um, when I was in like a senior in high school or something, we were on a vacation uh, on the West Coast during Easter, and my mom was like, we're going to commune with God in the woods this Easter. And since then, it's like, cool. We have, uh, my youngest brother got co uh, confirmed. And I think that was the last time we were in a church for a non-wedding or funeral situation. Um, <laughs> but I, I consider myself sort of a, a pantheist. I was a religion minor in college because it fascinates me. 
And so was I. Hey, high five. I think this is why we were both yeah. like, yeah, Bible stuff. It's interesting. Yeah, I minored in theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and through that, like through a, a philosophy of religion course, there was a religious philosopher that I, I gravitated towards quite a lot. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of like a, a, you know, non-denominational pantheist agnostic type. Uh, everything is divine. The divine is ineffable, so why would we, you know, ascribe any attributes to it? Well, and my, my, I know my father likes to describe himself as being spiritual rather than religious, which mm-hmm. is probably the most accurate representation of myself because I think most organized religion is hot garbage mm-hmm. um, and frequently gets in the way of determining what a person's personal relationship with God is. So, you know, that's where I kind of fall. Yeah, I have a complicated relationship with organized religion, partly because a college roommate of mine was a militant atheist at the time, and I push back on him a lot because it's like yeah there are problems with organized religion also they do some good things how do they balance out that's a you know a tougher thing to figure out but for individual you know spirituality or religiosity definitely i'm not on board with the with any organized religion well and i am fully happy to go on record by saying that atheism likes to pretend that it's superior but that's a religion just as much as anything else yeah especially the atheism defining if if we're defining religion as a system of belief guess what (laughs) right right well and and both of us went to college during a time when like militant atheism was a thing so that particular brand of atheism is definitely a religion yes um yeah i get i get very bothered when militant atheists try to act like they're better than somebody practicing organized religion. It's like, yes. guess what, sir? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, how can any of us actually know anything? So <laughs> there we go. Um, great. Well, th- that's actually probably a pretty good background to this. Um, seeing as we are going to be t- talking about Old Testament stories, um, and we're talking about, you know, modern adaptations in pop culture media so already there's a lot sort of going on with this um so we selected two movies i selected the man i did not pull any of this information up 2014 thank you uh the 2014 darren aronofsky film noah and martha you selected the 1990 98 98 uh yes animated film i think it was dreamworks first animated film uh prince of egypt was cool um, so we are gonna, uh, talk about Noah first, and then Prince of Egypt, figure we'll start, you know, we'll, we'll go through the, the biblical history in its chronological order. Uh, and also, uh, this is the movie that we were a little less impressed with, so we'll, we'll get our fighting out of the way, and then we'll, we'll go on to the thing that we, uh, enjoy a little bit more. Um, Noah stars, uh, Russell Crowe as Noah, uh, Jennifer Conley, Emma Watson are the other, and, uh, Anthony Hopkins- uh, Way Winstone or the Ray Winstone are the other above the title uh, actors. Um, it's the story of Noah, but it's told through uh, Aronofsky's specific lens. He's using a lot of non-canonical uh, writings, especially the Book of Enoch, uh, and uh, I think a fair amount of um, uh, Jewish exegesis um, from like the Talmud and whatnot. Uh, to and then his own fancy to tell a story of a much darker noah um who one who is sort of an eco maniac and uh a misanthrope 
in the sense of he uh, thinks all humanity should die. Uh, and, you know, his, his task is to save the animals and the creatures and then let humanity die and then it will be perfect again. Um, at the end of the movie, he realizes that shouldn't be the case and we're all uh, horrifically made aware that there's a lot of incest happening in the original Genesis stories, which most adaptations would like you to not think about. Uh, but this movie doesn't. Um, yeah, this movie was right up in your face with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, pros for this movie, I thought it was visually really innovative. Um, it Aronofsky's always been a good visual director, and I really enjoyed a lot of what I was seeing on screen. Uh, Martha, you were tweeting while watching it, and it texted me before that, like, it looks very Ray Harryhausen-y at times, and there's lots of... Um, sort of like stop motiony looking effects but more importantly just i don't know what you call it like the montage sequence of like flying over the landscape as it's changing um i guess in a stop motion kind of way um so i think i needed to have ponied up for the high def rental of this on amazon because i i, I paid for the standard definition version and i thought it looked very bad hmm. i i thought that the um the visuals ended up looking very like 70s grainy, um, which was part of why I made the the Harryhausen comparison. I am wondering if I just needed I'm wondering if the HD version would have looked better. I so I don't think I had the choice. I rented off iTunes. Um I, I just had the rent button, so I assumed that was HD. I will say there are definitely some compositing issues. It's you know, at the time, 2014, it was ILM's, like, biggest CG effects work. Um, but at this point, that's, like, six years a little bit out of date. Some of it's a little grainy. The compositing isn't great. But um, a lot of the effects, like, they look a little CGI, but in a in such a uh, mannered way that it didn't look like it was just bad CGI. It looked like it was going for a particular affect. Um, and if you were looking at a lot of grainy stuff, maybe that was a CGI or a, a HD versus um, non-HD problem. Yeah, the whole thing reminded me very, very much of the uh, scene from Clash of the Titans where the bad CGI claymation skeletons are attacking them on the beach. Mm. Yeah, I mean... Which, when it's Clash of the Titans, I am willing to overlook because it's hilarious and also great. Yeah. This movie was neither of those things. <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah, you had a lot of uh, takes on this movie. I hated this movie a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And I would like our listeners to understand, I love a lot of very bad movies. I was prepared. I wanted to like this movie so badly. Like... On its surface, it is my entire jam. Like, a big sword and sandals, um, like, overly, you know, Shakespe like Shakespearean in its taking itself seriously kind of deal. Like right. we're, we're casting Anthony Hopkins as Methuselah, so it's that kind of movie. This movie should have been absurd and great. Like, great because of its absurdity. Mm -hmm. um, but... It is so relentless in its refusal to have any kind of humor is the wrong word like, because I wasn't looking I wasn't looking for this movie to be funny. I was looking for this movie to lean into how outrageous this story is. You wanted it to be a little fun. 
I did. You like, didn't. You didn't want the third act to be about how Noah's going to murder some babies. Exactly, and like the story of Noah is ultimately an optimistic story. Like we're clean slating the world so that we can do better. Whether or not we end up doing better is kind of beside the point of that story. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, to have Russell Crowe's Noah be like, and actually. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, none of us deserve to live. Um, (laughs) Not even these two babies that my wife is convinced God sent us to be the wives for their two uncles. Um, I don't know. It was so self-serious and like so convinced of its own like self-importance. I mean, it is Aronofsky. It, it feels very much a piece with with a lot of the rest that he does. Um, I guess I don't watch very many of his movies. Yeah, uh, you shouldn't if this is your takeaway from this. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie I, was just it was it was relentless and it was oppressive. Yes, um, and, and like you were saying, so much of it should like should be your jam. It should be great, and it isn't. I am fascinated by the idea of like Noah as a crazy cult leader because that's basically like a religious fanatic who is you know not sharing any of his information with anyone else which is problematic um but like but i thought it was handled badly i was the ideas on paper seem interesting and then when it is actually like shown and conveyed i'm like this is absolutely not doing it for me it's oppressive and relentless i think are the exact right adjectives for it um and un unfun Yes. Like, like and, and some of I, it is fun. Of like the, the Nephilim, the Watchers. I think I thought those were very interesting. They were kind of fun. They were still so they happened there was about twenty minutes of the beginning of this movie where I was like, All right, this is gonna be awesome. Like giant stone monsters here for that. Mm-hmm. Um Did did you like the um and this scene is made made the rounds on YouTube and is I think the only thing anyone remembers this movie about? Uh, because this movie, for being Aronofsky's highest grossing film and very well critically received, is totally forgotten by everyone and is not a movie. Um, but the sequence of like him explain, like retelling the Genesis sequence, I thought was like that was one of the high points of the film. I thought it was fine. I didn't really like that animation style. It didn't mm. super work for me, which I think may again have been part of the product of the fact that I didn't pay for the best um visual output sure and like for um, me like that the... came across that came across as being very like jerky and um in um not cohesive hmm. to me it it was jerky intentionally but for me that like i, I glommed onto that very hard i'm like that looks visually very innovative i've never seen anything like like that well and is that the scene that ends with like the um the kind of flash animation yeah. of war through up through the future that I hated. I was like, really? really? Oh, I, I thought that was so that's, interesting. That's taking your point and hammering it in with a nail, like hammering it in with a ball peen hammer, like Aronofsky. Was, okay. So maybe I just don't like his stuff because <laughs> I was watching that going. Really? I get it. Like I, I didn't need, I didn't need you to lampshade this quite so hard. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will say you, you had tweeted, uh, you'd watched this and tweeted about it before I had. So your tweets were sort of in the back of my mind as I was watching it. Um, and 
your your comment about how this movie hates women uh made me realize that like most women in Aronofsky movies are there to further the causes of the men in the movies and this is very much one of those situations like no Noah is the only one with any sort of internal life in this movie and even then um you know it's it's an interesting story not well told and then uh yeah the the women are there too but even the, his sons are there to just further that story and not anything else well and jennifer connelly straight says that the only purpose that women have in this world is to marry her sons and give birth to their children yeah like emma watson's character is basically it actually it says a lot to me that noah's oldest son loved her anyway while she was not able to have children Mm -hmm. and like probably would have married her anyway but they didn't get to be together until methuselah granted her back the use of her womb yeah so like guess what now you're a real woman who gets to marry my great-grandson yeah hot garbage yeah and then can we go back to the part where Emma Watson gives birth to twin girls so that her husband's two younger brothers... God sent them. Yes. <laughs> that, is, that is literally the line from Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, yeah. God made sure that we had what we needed. Yeah. Cool. Um, which, again, is like both in the Adam and Eve story and in the Noah story, you're not supposed to think that hard about the fact that there are no other humans. So there's uh, a very thick trunk to that family tree. Um, well, and also... Aronofsky could have avoided that and chose not to. Yes. Like he put in a short lived storyline where one of Noah's sons meets another girl and is like developing a relationship with her. And then Aronofsky kills her. Yeah. Uh, Which, (laughs) which like it, it does make sense if your movie is only about Noah and how he's a maniac and like not a great guy. Uh, I also loved how at the end, in true patriarchy fashion, while the rest of his family is building the homestead, he gets to go off and get drunk. Oh and not God. actually do any work. Oh my <laughs> Which, God. I, like, yeah, I, I know that's in the story of Noah. He gets drunk, and then, like, you know, Ham sees him and all the rest of it. Like, that's in the Bible, but you could have played it in a different way. He could have helped build the house first, and then went off and got drunk. Um... So I guess maybe the most accurate way of talking about this movie is to say that Aronofsky succeeded in the story he wanted to tell. I just didn't care about the story he wanted to tell. I would even like, say I I so I don't think he succeeded in the story he wanted to tell. I was a little bit more on on his wavelength, I think, of like Noah is an eco radicalist who wants all humans to die and is a, 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 a maniac cult leader. Um, I just didn't think that worked out very well okay that makes me feel better about not liking it yeah i yeah i like <laughs> I, part of me was like well is this just not for me yeah no but, i i i was probably further along on the like interesting ideas interesting story where are you going here and then the third act was the third act is what lost me i'm like this is it's too much time in the arc being dark the flood happens and there is 45 minutes left of that movie. <laughs> yeah. That is wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the rainbow at the end looked real cool though, uh, but was unearned because as you say, the entire point of the story is about hope. And there was no hope in this movie until 15 minutes before the end. In fact, I would go so far as to say Aronofsky works real hard to make sure there's no hope in it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you've never seen Mother. Mother! That is correct. Yeah, great. I Don't. I read about Mother and thought, that is a movie that I can skip. I'm very glad I watched it in the theaters, and I'm very glad I never have to watch it again. Uh, it was it was interesting. I was on board. It's very biblical, and so, like, that sort of angle was interesting, and never have to watch it again. But having seen that and re-watching Noah, there's a lot of problematic stuff with women in Aronofsky's work. Oh, yeah. Well, um, instead of uh, wallowing in this pit of sadness and despair, what homework did you assign? Uh, we already talked about uh, this, I so assigned, we all know what it is. But <laughs> I assigned the 1998 animated DreamWorks film The Prince of Egypt. Um, yeah, so Val Kilmer plays Moses. Ray Fiennes plays Ramesses. Michelle Pfeiffer plays Zipporah. Sandra Bullock plays Miriam. Jeff Goldblum plays Aaron. The oh. only character of color, or the only actor of color in this movie is Danny Glover, who plays Jethro, Zipporah's father. Uh, Patrick Stewart and Helen Mirren play Ramesses' parents, Seti and the Queen. Um, and then Steve Martin and Martin Short play the two priests. This movie has a wild cast. Also, yes. I do think that we should mention very, very briefly um, that both of these films are adaptations of stories that would have featured uh, characters of color and, in fact, are voiced or acted entirely by white people. That is true. The one uh, bone I'll throw in the way of Prince of Egypt is that the art shows them as people of color. I was um, actually going to say, I don't know whether that makes it more or less egregious. I think that it's, we have actual characters of color being voiced by white people. I'm giving it a little bit of leeway since it's from 1996 or seven um, and compared 98. 98 uh, and then also thinking of Exodus Gods and Kings, which is just white people playing white people. And Ramsey's is uh, the darkest person on screen <laughs> um, and yeah. is still Mark Strong. So like not, you know, uh, <laughs> Not, <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, the Prince of Egypt tells the story of Moses, um, the Hebrew boy who, uh, during the slaughter of Hebrew sons, um, is set free by his mother into the river to hopefully escape uh, the bloodshed, is picked up by the Queen of Egypt and raised in the household of uh, the Pharaoh Seti and his son Ramesses. Uh, when he grows up, he uh, learns that he is actually um, a member of the slave, or he is from the slave class. He runs away. He has a vision from God that tells him that he is the chosen person who is going to save the people of Israel and lead them out of Egypt and into and to their uh, their chosen. Um, into the, the land, land chosen for them by God. Yeah, the, the promised land. Yes. Um, over the course of this, he has to then confront the man who he was raised um, as, who who grew up with him as his brother. Uh, he unleashes the seven plagues of Egypt in a shockingly dark musical montage. Um, uh, and it all culminates in a legitimately stirring scene uh, wherein he parts the Red Sea. And uh, the very last moment of the movie is him coming down from the mountaintop with the Ten Commandments. Um, it is? Did I not see that last scene? 
I if you turned it off early, oh, okay. Then I guess I mean... <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's no more dialogue after the the Red Sea kind of floods back, um, and they continue walking, and then you get a pan up into the sun, and then a pan down as Moses comes down from the mountaintop holding the Ten Commandments. Uh, one of my one of my dings against this movie is I think it was cowardly of them to skip all of the bad behavior that led to the uh, <laughs> development of the Ten Commandments, especially because this movie does not gloss over or rosy tint a whole lot about this story. Like, this is an animated musical that also very bluntly shows um, the Child murder, murder of many, many children. Yeah. Well, b- b- both the murder and then the, uh, the angel of death, uh, you know, also killing many, many children. Yes. Although um, I... Go ahead. I like this movie quite a bit. Um, This movie has a lot of problems, uh, but I also think that it has great music. I think it is a pretty great way, like a pretty great rendition of this story. Like it, it really shows you how weird and scary the old Testament God can be. Mm -hmm. Um. I, so this was the first time I, I saw it and I also enjoyed it a lot. Um, in the first five minutes, I was worried it would be entirely sung through, but then I was on Wiki. I'm like, wait, no, there's a voice actor and a singing actor, so clearly it's not totally sung through. Uh, and then it isn't. Um, the songs I could generally take or leave, but the the plague song was pretty good, and the um, uh, the, the the priests of of Ra uh, fighting Moses was also a great scene, a great song as well. Um, the miracles song where they're actually walking out of Egypt, I, I don't think you can make the case that it's a good song. That scene is, I think, very moving. Yeah, the animation in this movie is incredible. Um, the the parting of the Red Sea is just gorgeous. Um, and so many other moments in this movie, like, whatever money they spent on it is on the screen. Uh, it looks fantastic. Uh, also, you have Jeff Goldblum as Aaron, and anytime Aaron's talking, I'm just like, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, great. That's Jeff Goldblum, yes. <laughs> uh, so, that's fantastic. Um, a couple things I thought were interesting is, and this is a case where I don't, it's been a while since I've read Genesis, right, or Exodus, uh, so I don't know how much of this is, like, textual or non-textual, but there were strange similarities uh, when, when Moses is out, um, uh, with with uh, Zephor, uh, Zephor's people, um, similarities to Muhammad's story, like the bur- the burning bush. I always think of that as being sort of like on a plateau, but here they have it sort of in a canyon. Um, and Muhammad had his visions in a cave, so visually that's sort of similar. Uh, and then uh, Muhammad's wife Khadijah was the first like convert to Islam, and here Zephor is the one who's like, yeah, no, if God's talking to you, you got to do whatever God says. Um, and I again, I don't know how much of that is just like common themes across all three like you know abrahamic uh uh but like uh, books of faith but um or or how much of that was sort of like tweaking it a little bit um because this movie does end i think with three passage like three passages one from the the torah one from the new testament and one from the quran all about how like yeah moses is sort of like moses is a major prophet for all three religions well, and I think that there was effort made in making this movie to also lean on what we know historically is true. Mm. Um, 
this the this happens to be one of the stories in the Bible that has like documentation. The most qu- quote, yeah, the most quote unquote like evidence behind it. Yeah. Um, and did you see the disclaimer at the beginning when they're like, we took some liberties, but we feel that the way that we told this is the most historically and spiritually true to like the intention of the story. Yes. Um, uh, which I enjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, I recently rewatched Hail Caesar and I kind of was thinking of the scene where he's talking to all the various faith leaders, uh, which is an A plus scene in a great fun film. I should watch that movie again. I it was not the movie that I expected it to be, so I ended up being kind of annoyed with it sure. because I thought that I was like there was the movie that I I thought that I was about to watch and then it wasn't that movie, so I I kind of kept waiting for that movie to show up. Right. Right. Yeah, no, if you go into that knowing what it is and just being like, "Oh, great, a Bubsley Berkeley number. Uh a <laughs> a gay sailor number. Uh a religious discourse with uh you know a padre and a rabbi and a an orthodox guy and a Lutheran minister. Fantastic. Also, I kind of just wanted the whole thing to be the um Channing Tatum dance sequence. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, there's communists. Yeah. Hail Caesar. Good movie. Um, but uh, y- you were talking about sort of like the religious disclaimer and then the the actual like product. Yeah, I just I, I appreciated that when they set out to make this movie, um, what was most important to them was sort of presenting in a semi-historically accurate manner um the true spirit of the story Mm -hmm. um which a lot of bad stuff happens at the end of this story like one of like I, i said up at the top of talking about this movie i think it was kind of um cowardly of them to skip like everything that happens while Moses is up on the mountain talking to God, the golden calf. Yeah. All of that. Just because like the rest of the movie is very like, and then weird and bad stuff happened. Um, but at the end of it, it's still a hopeful story. Like, so my, my I guess st- my, my, my counterpoint is like, where do you end the Exodus story for a movie? Cause like, then there's the calf and then they wander for 40 years and then I they finally make it to the promised land, but say. Moses can't get in. So Aaron has to lead them. Like there's so many like <laughs> points where it's like, all right. So like, if you end there, then you're not getting this part. If you end there, because like Moses has a crisis of faith, which is why he's not allowed into the promised land. So like, do you include that? I, I would have ended this story right after the red sea falls back on itself. And I will be honest, I thought that's where this movie ended. I don't remember the scene of him coming down at the end with the 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 um tablets. I from promise Sinai. I'm not making this up. Okay, I mean I, I fully believe you. I've seen this movie exactly one time. So <laughs> Um but I, I kind of feel like for the purposes of the story that this movie was telling, which I think ends up being mostly about the relationship between Ramesses and Moses, mm-hmm. they could have ended it right after the parting of the Red Sea. Like, yeah. they part the sea, Moses and his people get to walk off into the sunset, and then, like, everything else that happens after that is kind of a different story. Yeah, I agree 100%, because it's, then it's the the trials and tribulations of the the Hebrews in in their 40 years in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I loved the relationship between Ramses and Moses, and I particularly loved Ramses is a very complex character where 
like and Moses is a complex character in this too like he's a jerk in the beginning right like he's a yes. troublemaker uh and and Ramsey's is like really struggling with the idea of leadership and um like how to be a Familial good leader expectations yeah yeah exactly um there are some really beautiful shots one of, of Patrick Stewart talking in profile and behind him is his own statue of himself creating like a gorgeous mm -hmm. uh, depth of field shot and then later that's mimicked by a shot of Ramsey's talking and it's Ramsey's then the profile of his father's statue and then an even bigger profile of his own statue uh and that like that conveys so much like great visual storytelling um and a really complex character that you kind of are sympathetic for True, but without, I think without glossing over the fact that he's continuing a, like, toxic and bad yes. tradition of rule. Like, right. I, I think that the the movie both takes care to show you that he is the product of how he was raised, but also he is making choices. When, when like given that. the opportunity to change, he doesn't change. Correct. Yeah. Um... I, I can't recall if, if this was specifically stated in this movie, but there's a line in Exodus, which I always think is very, it's, it's a powerful line and it's very bizarre to me in some ways, but I also get it in other ways. And it's like God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he didn't release the, the Israel, like the Hebrews early. Um, and like, it's bizarre to me because I'm like, why would he do that? But then that's that's kind of the way that the authors get around the fact that Pharaoh didn't do it. So we have to keep, you know, keep ratcheting up the stakes. Yeah, and I, I think that the, one of the things this movie does pretty well is shows that Moses not only needs to free his people, but he needs to prove to his people that he is chosen by God. Mm -hmm. Like, that's part of what God is doing for and with him mm -hmm. because in a lot of ways um like aaron miriam is always a believer but aaron and the other slaves are like what are you like you're just making our lives harder like what are you what are you trying to do so it's almost just as important that they get the proof from moses um so that they believe as well as um pharaoh and the other egyptians mm-hmm mm-hmm that's a, Which that's I a like good, better. Yeah, I like that better than the like God made it intentionally harder <laughs> for right for this to happen. God wanted to get to the murder all the firstborns of Egypt state, so he just did it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because like that line has always been very strange to me in the Bible, but that's actually a pretty good analysis of like it's it's not really about anyone else's belief so much as like the 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 Hebrews' belief in moses and in god yeah like they they have to follow in this instance they have to believe that moses is speaking for god because god can't come down and lead his people out of egypt he needs a mortal avatar to do that for him mm -hmm. and if no one believes that that is that moses is that then they're not gonna go <laughs> right right well, and, and, you know, simultaneously, like, in a land of polytheism, they, they need the proof that the monotheistic god is the one to follow and, like, still does continue to have their interest in heart and all the rest of it. In the, um, in the priest songs, did you catch the part where, um, 
the snake that was Moses's staff eats the other two snakes. Of course I was. I did because I was watching <laughs> for it because I know that's a scene from uh, from Exodus where like he throws yes. this, uh, the staff on the ground. It becomes a snake. They throw some other snakes on the ground. It's like, how we can do it, too. And then the god snake eats the false god snakes. And then it's like, haha, my god is still stronger. Uh, and, and that They're was just- that was just one scene in that song that I was losing my mind about in a good way, because I also love that the entire opening is them just chanting the names of Egyptian gods. Well, and I love, like, there are so many little, um, like, little background details in the animation. Like, when um, Moses turns the Nile into blood, mm-hmm. it is still water immediately around Moses. Yeah. Like, little little things like that where it's like, oh, that's such a good little detail. Yeah. No, the, the animation in this film is incredible. Um, did it win anything? Um, let me see. Oh, uh, as we're looking at this up, the other thing, like, it is DreamWorks, and I, I was um, happily surprised at how sort of, uh, like, Jewish a lot of the music was. Um, like, it, yeah, it, it won, it won Best Original Song. Sure, for the Mariah Carey, um... Yeah, there can be miracles. Yeah, um, it was a nominee for it was a it was nominated for best original score. Um, it was nominated for the Golden Globes for original score and best song. What, uh, um, I don't think it won though. Did the Oscars have best animated at this point? Um, let's find out. I kind of thought you just have that on the top of your uh, head. No, no, I was looking at IMDb. I'm mm. magical, but I'm not that magical. Because, <laughs> like, wasn't Best Animated a follow-up, like, uh, Beauty and the Beast or something? It was sort of the reaction to that, or Lion King? I think it was Beauty and the Beast. Although Beauty and the Beast got nominated for Best Picture. Right. Uh, looks like 2001 was the first Best Animated yeah. Picture. Yeah, I just got to the part where it's like, they had Best Animated Short Film, but mm. not... Uh, Best animated feature film. Sure. Okay, well, that makes me feel a whole lot better uh, that this did not get animated for a, or nominated for a category that did not exist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I also really love the music in this. It's pretty hokey, but it's very catchy um, and really lends itself to like the grand, like the scale of the movie, I think. Yes. Yeah, I agree. The, the music is also very much like of its time. So, like, the music isn't like it doesn't super do it for me. But I'm not the biggest the music biggest uh, musical fan. But I'm like, eh, it's a it's an animated film from the late '90s. It's gonna be like this. It's fine. It's also it's a Hans Zimmer score. Yes. So like, uh, there was one <laughs> song that was straight out of Gladiator, which he composed two years later. Um, which song? <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. It was just like it was like your classic chanting. I, I'm like, I could look up the gladiator songs that I think it reminds me of. But me listing gladiator songs is not terribly useful. No. Uh, and I definitely don't remember what song it was in um, Prince of Egypt. Um. Well, I, the, the two sort pulling back the pulling back a little bit. The two big ideas that we were sort of talking about with this episode are related, which is sort of why are there not more big adaptations like big budget adaptations of old testament stories in general and then the follow-up question is why are the the few adaptations that we have all about like the same five stories from like the pentateuch the first like 
everyone is doing Genesis and Exodus and no one is doing, um, you know, Kings or Daniel or the Maccabees outside of your very, like outside of Hanukkah related things. Um, why is it, why, why do we think it's so few and far between? And then within that few and far between, so limited in like actual scope. So I think the answer to both of these questions is the sensitivity of religious people. Hmm. Like it's, we, we don't want to do uh, Jericho because then that puts the, uh, like the Israelites as the aggressors, um, like that sort of move. Yeah. And also because God and religion and Jesus are all, although Jesus is New Testament, but like, Religion is such a bizarre force in the United States that, like, I can see where some studios might be hesitant about doing more biblical stories because they're like, oh, we can't be seen to be, like, trivializing Mm. people's religious beliefs. Mm. Well, and, like, I think so much of the later Old Testament is either, like like the formation of the nation of Israel and like them as the aggressors and then them being like, you know, the the Babylonian captivity, both of which have Babylonian captivity is like not a good hero story for Hollywood. Um, And then uh, the, the formation of Israel and them as the aggressors has some political dicey ramifications and big budget movies are always getting made with an eye towards what their overseas um gains are going to be yeah um this all and being said might... uh uh i i just started watching the 2009 nbc show kings which is a which was a nbc version like loose adaptation of the story of david um and it's interesting so far, uh, but it also stars Ian McShane, who I could listen to read the phone book to me. So uh, I'm all in on <laughs> well, anything where he plays a king. One of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is because, you know, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about these questions is because I think that with how weird Christianity gets in the United States, people tend to forget that the Bible is just a bunch of really good stories. Yeah. Like, obviously there are issues if you start trying to take it literally, but in general, like, the intent of this book was to tell really good stories that would help people make good choices. Well, and and it was also a history. Like, it was a people's history of themselves. Right. And, like what making good choices looks like has changed. Mm -hmm. And I think people get in trouble when they try to interpret it literally now, like many, many, many years removed from when it was originally written. Like our, our morals are not the same. Like, like like Deuteronomy are the same, but like, yeah, civilization has changed. Deuteronomy was probably a lot of really good ideas for a patriarchal shepherd society that lived in a desert before penicillin existed (laughs) right but like when you get down to it particularly when you get into the new testament like the core message of the bible is be a good person and well but that's 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 the message of the new testament like if we're focusing just on old right but like here we're just focusing like old testament literature and i think the the core message there is follow the law (laughs) 
yeah, follow the law, but like, and the Old Testament stories are big and bombastic and bizarre and like perfect for Hollywood. Exactly. And I think that if people didn't treat the subject matter with such kid gloves and like kind of let themselves tell these stories in this really over the top, um, like these really over the top way, these could make great, like great movies. People just have to not be afraid of like offending anybody. Mm-hmm. In like going back to Noah, would you have been like on board with it if the third act was radically different, but we still had the whole like Tubal Cain, like that sort of, you know, good, evil these people should be like wiped off the earth because they are objectively bad. And then these people are good. Like that sort of uh Manichaean sort of Noah story. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the point of the, uh, that's kind of the point of the way that the original story is written. Like there are segments of humanity that have allowed themselves to be so become so corrupted that actually, I think that this is where it would have helped to have saved that one woman because I telling a story where a whole group of people is objectively evil in the year of our Lord 2014 is a bizarre mm. choice. Uh, like, on the other hand, I think part of the Noah story is that, like, the evil are washed off the earth, but a bunch of innocents also died in the process. And, like, it's it's problematic that Noah's like, I'm, a, I'm choosing to leave you behind, but that's kind of a microcosm of what he's doing with the Ark in general. Then I guess the movie should have confronted that a little bit better. Yes, I am. I am a uh, coming up with this analysis literally right now while talking to you, and b reading <laughs> into it uh, a thing that I don't think the movie is is trying to do. Um. Yeah, I think that there. I think that if the movie had dealt with some of the questions that it sort of skirts a little bit better, I would have enjoyed it more. Um, I also think I would have enjoyed it more if it had just been sort of kind of straight up and down, like the ridiculous story that it is adapted from. Right. Like it's a boat with all animals (laughs) on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it doesn't sit super well with me to just uniformly blanket say all of these people are bad. So we're just going to kill them all and start over. Um but I, I kind of think the movie would have been better if it had taken, like if it had taken one side or the other, like either grapple with the fact that not all of these people are evil and that you just killed a whole bunch of innocent people or just lean into the fact that like, this is ridiculous right. and the, not realistic, but it's the story that we're telling. Right. Like they're all orcs. So it's fine. Actually, yeah. then they really should have cast Noah and his family as people of color and all of the evil people as white. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that would be super that that'd be a very interesting uh not inversion or subversion, but interesting take. I am very glad that they didn't have uh, Ham as a person of color, though, because that would have been uh, a major red flag and I would not have suggested the film. That also would have been a wild choice with Russell Crowe and Jennifer Connelly as his parents. Yeah, yeah. Across the board would not have been good. Bar real low. Glad you cleared it. Yeah. (laughs) 
Also, Emma Watson is... Yeah, I know she's your favorite actor. You don't need to keep going on about it. <laughs> I did not know she was in this movie. <laughs> uh, that's not true. I warned you she was when I said your favorite actor, Emma Watson, is in this movie. <laughs> oh, shoot, you did. <laughs> and I forgot. Immediately. <laughs> you, you purged it from your mind, hoping that maybe she wouldn't be in it. Or that she would maybe be better in it? She was she was fine. She just had no, like no one in this in that movie had an internal life outside of of Noah. So you know, no one was served by the script. Yeah, true. Uh well, that's where we're going to end it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Um you can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever else fine podcasts are found. I think podcatcher is the term used these days, so go catch us in that. Uh, you can find us on... using the lingo of the young people. Yes, improperly. It, it's great. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can find us on Facebook by searching for Did You Do Your Homework? You can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DYDYH Podcast. Uh, Martha, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me in all the places at Magical Martha. Uh, sometimes I write a newsletter on Tiny Letter. Uh, you can find that at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. Uh, and you can also listen to me on Opposing Wednesdays from this podcast where I record a a show with Marin, Pete's partner, uh, where we talk about rom-coms and teen-based movies. And what are you listening? It's or, called uh, Love Ya. It's called Love Ya, great. Uh, and what are you watching next week? Uh, we are going to be watching and discussing the Netflix original Always Be My Maybe. Cool. Uh, and then off the air, you're never going to convince Marin to watch Scream. Uh, really? I, tr- I, I tried before That's we started scary. this call. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean you you tried too i tried you should try i don't think it's gonna work <laughs> out <laughs> um well you can find me on twitter at pico 3000 that's p-i-k-o 3000 and next episode it would normally be oscar season right now so we're gonna be looking at failed oscar bait the Movies that were maybe chasing some Oscars and just never got that hardware. Uh, And then also sort of talking about what Oscar bait means and what failed Oscar bait means. Um, But there are no Oscars this year, so it's, you know... Uh, this is no, this is this is what we got. There are gonna be Oscars. They're just gonna be the weirdest. Yeah, like the weirdest selection we've ever seen. Bird of Prey Tenet is gonna win best movie, and Tenet's yeah, Tenet's gonna win all the other ones. <laughs> Margot Robbie is gonna win best actress for Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Yeah, I mean that might be true. <laughs> I or be m- mad about it. Maybe maybe they're finally gonna throw some love uh, Netflix's way and nominate uh like Charlie Theron for the Old Guard. I still have to watch that. Oh my god, you do. It's so good. And for this topic, Martha is assigning the 2011 biopic J. Edgar, uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. And I am assigning the 2018 uh, period piece, maybe a drama, period drama, uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, with Shirsi Ronan and uh, Margot Roby. Thank you all so much for listening, and uh, until next episode, class dismissed.